0: Friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. ready to go to our study of the word of god this time we'll be going topical for about a month after which we will go probably into the book of james in an expository uh, study of the book of james so allow uh, allow me to request you to please rise from your seats and we will be reading verses 1 to 5, at this time, Jonah chapter 1 and verses 1 to 5, I'd like us to be able to read it together aloud at the count of three. So we'll read this together, 1, 2, read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Hopa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The world, I'm sorry, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Lord, we just give you thanks and praise for this lovely Sunday morning, Oh God. We thank you for reminding us of what you have done for us at the cross. Lord, we are eternally grateful to everything that you've done for us. And we thank you that our names are written in the book of life, although we are totally undeserving. And this morning, once again, Lord, we pray that You might speak to us, Your people. We need to hear Your voice, O God. We need to know Your will for us. We need to hear Your marching orders. And so we pray that You will open our hearts and You will open our minds. Allow us, Lord, to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, Do not allow us to resist and grieve the Spirit of God because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, for freedom in this place, O God. I pray, O Lord, that you might anoint my lips of clay. As you very well know, Lord, I cannot do without you. And so I ask your grace upon my lips, O Lord, that I might be your mouthpiece to your people, that they might know that they have heard from you and that they might glorify you. And so whatever is going to be achieved this morning, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. We will be starting a very short series, which I have entitled, No Escape. And this is going to be part one of a two-part series that we will begin, of course, today. Now, all of us, without exception, have a call from God. God has laid out a specific purpose for each and every believer in Christ. And I believe one of the things that we need to look into would be that passage in the book of Peter, which tells us that each one of us has received a special gift from God. Now, the gift that we receive from the Lord actually determines whatsoever is our calling in life. And it is up to us to discover what that is. And I know that it is not really that difficult to find out what our gifts, what our talents, what our skills are, because somehow we know what we are capable of doing. And I recall a conversation that I had with one of our members in uh, Lakewood, California, he's been attending um, just recently, and this man happens to be a mechanic uh, of an airplane. And so uh, he works with a company in the United States, and that is what he does. And we were talking about ministry, and we were talking about the possibility of him helping out our church in Lakewood, California. And as we were uh, trying to survey uh, where he could possibly be of help, he just looked at his hands and he said, my gift is in my hands. And basically what he was trying to say is that whatever I will do for church, it will have to do with the skills that God has given to me with my hands. And some of us, unfortunately, have not thought this out really well, whatever gifts or whatever purposes God has laid out for us. And that is rather unfortunate because God did not just save us so that we could wait and go to be with God in heaven as soon as we die. God has laid out the purpose for us here on earth, and He has laid out a purpose for us in church as well. And we have got to come before the presence of the Lord and ask Him, Lord, what is my purpose in life? What is the call that you have placed upon me? Of course, as we consider our life mission, we should also consider the fact that God gives us short-term assignments as well. And the question, of course, is are we fulfilling those assignments? Are we fulfilling our call, our mission in life? And so I would like to submit to you some questions which I would like us to ponder on. And hopefully, as we study the book of Jonah, some answers will be supplied to those questions. One question would be, when God calls you to do something, how do you respond to Him? Do you respond to Him in obedience or do you respond to Him in disobedience? Does it ever cross your mind that you can actually escape your calling and the consequences of your disobedience? Do you ever think that you can escape the consequences of your disobedience? Now, in our study of Jonah, we will attempt to find the answers to those questions. And I want this to be something uh, that will be personal and very intimate to us. Because as I mentioned to you, we cannot take this lightly. God's call and God's purpose in our lives, we have to fulfill. We have no choice. We have no option. Now, as we go through the story of Jonah, we will see that Jonah, unfortunately, did not respond positively to the call of God upon him. But instead, what we will discover is that he disobeyed, fleeing away From the presence of the Lord and the result, of course, were negative consequences in his life, but not only in his life, but even with those who were surrounding him, which is actually very unfortunate. Now, why he disobeyed is one of the most intriguing questions that a lot of people are probably wrestling with most especially if you consider the fact that this man happens to be a man of God. He was a true prophet of God. And for several years, he had probably prophesied many times over in the northern kingdom of Israel. And so he was an established prophet of God. And so the question is, why do something as crazy as fleeing away from the presence of the Lord, why do something as crazy as disobeying the command of God? You need to understand that the glory of a prophet is his mouth because that is what God uses. And that's the reason why God sanctifies the mouth of the prophet. If we go to the book of Isaiah, we discover that Isaiah had a vision of God. And in that vision that God gave to him, there was this awareness of the holiness of God. And somehow it struck him, and it made him realize that God was so other than himself. That God was transcendent. That God was over and above him. That God was absolutely holy. And he just realized his own sinfulness, particularly the sinfulness of his own mouth. And that is why he goes, woe is me, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And that is exactly what the Lord cleansed and washed from him so that he could be a prophet that would be useful for the glory of God. So that is the glory of a prophet, his mouth, because that is what God uses. And so it is unfortunate that now God gives him an assignment, a task, which is actually a privilege, not his right. It was not his right to speak. It was a privilege that was given to him. And he was totally undeserving of it, as we all are undeserving. And yet the sad thing is he does not use his mouth for the glory of God. Instead, he disobeys God, which leads into circumstances as a result of his disobedience. Now, how the story plays out is seen in the flow of the narrative, and I would like to be able to supply to you an outline. And my purpose really is so that we do not get lost in the details and so that you will know how this series will go. So, allow me to just look at the screen right now and let me show you where we are going as far as the book of Jonah is concerned. By the way, we're only going to tackle the first chapter, not all of the chapters, so it's just going to be chapter 1. Now, here in verses 1 to 2, what you and I will see is the command to prophesy to Nineveh. And then, the following would be the disobedience that we discover in verse 3. And then, later on, in verses 4 and 5, which is part 1, and we will be dealing with this For this morning, you find the consequence. But then in part two, this is what you and I can expect, so I'm going to give you a little sneak preview. So we find the rebuke of the captain in verse 6, and then in verses 7 to 10, the rebuke of the sailors. What is of particular interest to me is that they were unbelievers, and yet they were the ones who were rebuking this true prophet of God, this man of God. That's interesting. And after that, we will take a look at the solution and the conversion of the sailors. So, Romans 8.28 is still in play. All things work together for good. We find this in verses 11 to 16. And finally, here's what we will find at the last, the grace of God. And I'd like to cap it off with a very powerful teaching on the grace of God, which we find in Verse 17. So in the end, what does Jonah discover? He discovers that there is no escaping the call that God places upon us. And my hope and my prayer is that we would be able to heed God's call in our lives, lest we suffer the consequences of our disobedience. So let's start off right now with verses 1 and 2 as we talk about the command to prophesy. So, allow me to read this verse once again, or these verses. And here's what it says The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come upon me. Now, let's stop there for a while. Now, you know that when I start a series on a particular book, one of the things that I do is to give a background study. And the reason why I do give a background study is so that we might be able to appreciate the settings of that time. Because you and I are so far removed from the time when Jonah was asked by God to do ministry. So we don't really understand the world that he was living in. So what I would like to be able to do is give you a background study and hopefully we can go back through a time tunnel, so to speak, going back about 3,000 years and then try to understand the world of Jonah. We'd also like to be able to study what kind of genre is being taught here because are we talking about a parable here? Are we talking about an allegory here? Because of necessity, our application depends on the genre that is presented to us. So, here are some important things we need to note about the book of Jonah. First of all, the account presents itself as actual history. Could you say with me, actual history? Now, also, the Jews and the early church believed it to be literal. Literal. Likewise, the author of 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, refers to Jonah as a historical person. His hometown is given, along with the name of his father and the king he served under. Now, you don't do this in the genre of a parable. You don't give proper names. You don't give the hometown. You don't give details that we discover here in the book of Jonah. So I think that's very important to note that we might know that this is really his history. We're talking about historical facts. Now, even Jesus testified to the literal account of Jonah. We find this in Matthew 12, 38 to 41. and Matthew 16, verse 4, Luke 11:29 29 to 32. And Jonah was one of only four Old Testament prophets whose ministries were referred to by Christ. So you have Matthew 12:41, Luke 11:32, in the case of Jonah, then the others that were mentioned were Elijah in Matthew 17:11 to 12, Elisha Luke 4:27 and Isaiah, I'm sorry, yeah, Isaiah Matthew 15 and verse 7. In short, my whole point in bringing this to the fore for us is that this is not fiction. This is not a biblical cartoon story. And I believe it's very important for us to note that because what we are being told here are historical facts. So we should really take seriously this story. We cannot take this lightly. And so I hope that as we study this story you and I might see ourselves, probably you and I will see ourselves as being disobedient to our call. Or maybe we are being disobedient to a particular assignment that God has given to us. And maybe we are suffering certain consequences. And my hope and my prayer is that a realization of these things will bring about repentance in our hearts. And ultimately, of course, restoration, because ultimately that is what God wants to happen in our lives. God wants us to be restored. God wants us to be back into his loving arms in the same way that the prodigal son found himself in the arms of the father. And that is what we want to happen in our case this morning. And importantly, of course, we are celebrating the Lord's table. And I think it is only an apt time for us to really evaluate where we are exactly, how we are doing in so far as our obedience meter is concerned. And hopefully, if we find ourselves lacking or inadequate, we might repent. So that as we remind ourselves of the cross, it would truly be meaningful, not merely ceremonial in our case. Now, let me move further by talking about Jonah. Who's Jonah? Well, the chief character, of course, in this story is Jonah, who is called the son of Amite. Now, Jonah's name means dove. That's quite interesting because his name is illustrative of how he responded to the call of God. He flew away, so to speak. He fled from his call. Just as a bird flies away, he was flying away from the presence and the will of God. And so it's quite interesting that at times when we have a name that is given to an Old Testament character, it somehow shapes the story of his life. It somehow includes a portion of what takes place in his life. Now, in 2 Kings 14, verse 25, we are given his home as Heper, north of Nazareth. Now, that tells us that maybe that's the reason why Jesus talked about him. Because Jesus grew up in Nazareth. And maybe stories about Jonah were continually being told in that town. And so Jesus, even at a young age, really picked up that story. And so that was really memorable to him. Of course, we know that Jonah serves as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ because in the same way that Jonah was three days in the belly of a big fish, Jesus was also in the belly of a grave to rise again after three days. So he serves as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jonah was the only prophet, by the way, who was sent directly to the Gentiles. He did not just prophesy, but he was sent directly. He was told to go to Nineveh and prophesy. He is the only prophet who was asked to do that, which meant that God always had a heart for the Gentiles. Now, there is a misconception many times that runs through many uh, thought processes of many Christians because a lot of times, because of our exposure to the Old Testament, we tend to think that God loves only Israel. And if God loves other nations, it's just like a a second-class kind of love. And somehow this story tells us that's not true at all. True Israel was God's chosen people. True Israel, It is Israel that was loved by God, but it was loved by God because it carried with it a purpose. And the purpose was the Messiah was going to be born in Israel. Israel was supposed to be the spiritual repository of the law. And it was through Israel that the Messiah would be born. You and I would never know who the real Messiah is unless God would identify the nation where He would come from. So you and I know that Jesus is the real Messiah, because the Bible foretells to us that Jesus would be born in, in the land of Israel. So He cannot be from the Philippines, He cannot be from China, He cannot be from Japan. He can only be from Israel. So in that sense, yes, they were loved by God because they fulfilled a specific purpose. But that does not remove the fact that God loves all men equally because God is love. Amen? So moving forward, the main thrust of the book is the interest of Yahweh in the Gentile people of Nineveh to whom Jonah was sent as a prophet announcing judgment if they would not repent. Again, God is concerned for the Gentiles as well as His covenant people, Israel. We see God's concern for the people of the whole world. And what we discover is that His mercy is greater than His wrath. And that is something that we need to develop. A great compassion for the world. A great heart for a world that is lost and does not know Christ. We cannot simply sit down and have an attitude of apathy, not caring for what happens to the world. As believers in Christ, we need to have the heart of God in the same way that God had a heart for the people of Nineveh. Which brings us to the question, what city was this Nineveh? Let's try to describe it. The fact that this prophecy was directed to Nineveh means to say that we need to study what this city was because it might give us a clue why did Jonah disobey. What was it in Nineveh that caused Jonah to disobey? So let's talk about Nineveh for a while The city of Nineveh was located on the east side of the Tigris River, about 550 miles northeast of Samaria. The great city was second in size only to Babylon. Nineveh, according to some Bible scholars, was built by Nimrod, as they seem to find uh, support in Genesis chapter 10, verse 11. Now, Nineveh was part of the Assyrian Empire. Now, that brings us to another very important note the Assyrian Empire. What empire was this? Again, the question is will it provide any clues to us why Jonah disobeyed God? Well, here's what Assyria was the Assyrian Empire was rising to its early zenith in the days of Jonah and had cast its long shadow of danger across the kingdom of Israel. It was a threat. To Israel. At that time, Assyria was the greatest empire of that day. By the way, that empire lasted for 400 long years. Now, that's, that's a lot of time to be in control. Now, Assyria was a militaristic nation feared and hated by its enemies. This tells you the reason why God wanted to judge this nation. Because this nation was wicked. It was an oppressive nation. It was a nation that destroyed other countries as well. Now, again, this provides us a little clue as to why Jonah wanted to disobey God. But first of all, let's talk about the disobedience of Jonah. Let's take a look at verse 3, where we find the disobedience at this time so Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3 and here's what it says but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord so he went down to Hoppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord now what do we see here let's break this down we find that Jonah sought to flee to Tarshish. Now, where was Tarshish? Again, very important to note, where was this place? Well, quite possibly, the reference is to Tartessus, a place located in Spain or even beyond. This means that Jonah was going the opposite direction. Now, Assyria, if this was Israel, just try to imagine a map. If this was Israel right in the middle, Assyria would be in the northern eastern part of the Middle East. Tartessus or Spain, however, would be northwest. So here's what Jonah did instead of going northeast, he goes the opposite direction, he goes northwest. So he was not just remaining passive here, he was actually trying to thwart the will of God in his life. Is it possible that sometimes God calls us to do something, and instead of fulfilling his commission, his commandment, his will in our lives, we go the opposite direction? Is it possible that we are so stubborn? So self-willed that we decide to go against the will of God and become his personal adversary. Sometimes that's the story of so many Christians. And of course, Jonah had his excuse, which we will be studying in a bit. And you and I probably have our own excuses why we are not fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. But that is what we see here. He went west. Jonah is the only case. I mean, Jonah is legendary in, the wrong, in, a, in a wrong way. And let me tell you the reason why he was legendary. Jonah is the only case in the record of Scripture where a true prophet of the Lord tried hard to thwart the will of God by fleeing from the task that God had given to him. Secondly, Jonah is the only prophet recorded in Scripture who tried to conceal his message. As I mentioned to you, his glory was in his mouth. That was what God was using. And yet, sadly, he wanted to conceal this message. And you and I know that the message that he would speak would breathe the Spirit and the very life of God. But Jonah would not have it. Jonah did not want to be used by God. This verse tells us that Jonah was self willed. And could it be that we find ourselves in the character of Jonah? Is there anything in our lives wherein you and I can say that we are being self willed, that we are being stubborn, that we are being belligerent? God is telling us to do something. And yet, we're we're not giving in. We're not budging in. That is unfortunate. Jonah disobeys God's command to go to Nineveh and goes the opposite direction because he did not want Nineveh to repent. That was the reason. Why? Why was it that he did not want Nineveh to repent? Because he knew that Assyria was appointed by God to punish the nation of Israel in the future. Jonah knew that one day, this nation, which at that time was just a threat, would ultimately invade the nation of Israel, ravage the entire land, hold captive His own people, bring them to a foreign land into Assyria. They would lose their houses. They would lose their vineyards. They would lose everything they own, their businesses, their cattle, their livestock. They would lose their way of life. They would lose their identity. They would lose their national identity. And they would be mixed with other nations. Jonah knew this was the future. And that is why he wanted to change the future. He did not want God punishing the nation of Israel. Instead, what he wanted was for God to punish the nation of Assyria so that Assyria would no longer be a threat. You know what was the problem with Jonah? It is what is called as the illusion of control. Jonah thought he was in control. Jonah thought that he had a grip on his own life and that he could chart his own destiny. And unfortunately, there are some people who have this illusion of control. They do not recognize the sovereignty of God in their lives. And they think they can chart their own destiny. And that happens, by the way, because of a low view of God. At this moment in Jonah's life, what had happened was he had a low view of God. Because he thought that he could thwart the will of God. Because he thought he was in control. Friends, let me tell you this. We are never in control. None of us are in control. If we think we are in control it is an illusion because god ultimately will always be on his throne there will never ever be a time when god will not be seated on his throne he will always be seated on his throne he is the creator and the master of the universe his will will be done and that is why let that illusion of control be perished from our thoughts. And again, it is about time perhaps for us to begin cultivating and renewing our minds so that we begin to have a lofty and high view of God in the same way that it happened to Isaiah when he had a vision of God. One of the things that I continually pray for for this congregation is that you would have powerful encounters with God. That you yourself would have moments, so-called God moments in your life, wherein beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know that God has touched your heart. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know God has spoken to you. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have encountered God. Because when that happens, it's going to change the way you look at things. It's going to change your perspective. And what I believe needs to radically change the way we view God. Because the way we view God affects our conduct, affects our behavior. If we have a low view of God, we will end up like Jonah, trying to thwart the will of God, having that illusion of control, which is totally untrue. When you have a high view of God, however, you recognize the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. And you lovingly, willingly submit and yield yourself to God. Because you know there's no other place to go but to be in the will of God. To be right at the very center of His will. You see, the problem with Jonah was his sense of Jewish patriotism caused him to be uncompassionate with the Ninevites and he wanted them to be destroyed. I have nothing against patriotism and nationalism. I believe That as believers in Christ, we should be the best citizens of this country. We should be the greatest patriots that this country should know because we should love the country, because we have the love of God in our hearts. However, even as patriotism is a good thing, it must always be subordinate to God's will our patriotism could not go beyond the will of God. Now again, Jonah knew that God would spare the Ninevites if they repented, and he did not want the enemies of Israel to be saved. The book of Jonah tells us that there were 120,000 children in that city, not counting the adults, the mothers and the fathers. We're probably talking about Something in excess of one million. A population of more than one million people. Think about this. Jonah wanted all these people exterminated, if only to spare his nation. And a few weeks ago, we had a testimony of Brother Jesse Rigero. How many of you were able to listen to the testimony? Yes. You were here in Brother Beb's preach the message in connection, in relation to that testimony. And you see, sometimes I think there's a kind of mindset right now that's beginning to take place among many Filipinos. We want all these, sometimes I think people want all these drug addicts and drug pushers to just be exterminated. Some people don't mind the fact that no due process is being done. Let me just tell you this. All of us, without exception, want a safe city. We want a safe country. We want a place where our children can go and, and, you know, be out in the open and yet be safe. We want that. Who doesn't want that? We want safety. We want security. But here's one thing. As believers in Christ, we cannot espouse a kind of thinking which does a shortcut in the matter of justice. We cannot espouse a kind of thinking which bypasses the due process of justice. If justice must roll, let the process begin. Unfortunately, we want shortcuts. And shortcuts never really work in the end. And this is exactly the mindset of Jonah. Let them die. Because they will be a threat to my country. They will be a threat to my brothers and my sisters and my father and my mother. This nation will destroy our country. Let them die. Let them be exterminated. There was absolutely no compassion in his heart. Jesse Riguera was saying, if Tok Hang were present during his time, he probably would be dead and he would not be a pastor. And you might say, well... They're the scum of society. They deserve to die. You want to talk about justice? You deserve to die as well. I deserve to die as well. If we are to go by the rules of God, we all deserve to die. For the Bible says in Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death. Anyone who sins against God deserves to die. So if you and I want to talk about justice, not only should these drug addicts and drug pushers die, each and every one of us should die as well. Thank God for mercy and thank God for grace. Unfortunately, sometimes our views could be skewed. Our values could be skewed. And they can come in, our, in the way of our obedience to God's will. In the case of Jonah, it was his misplaced Jewish patriotism. His nationalism blinded him to the plight of other people and caused him to be uncompassionate. I'd like to remind you of the story of Luke 15, the parable that Jesus used. Let's read Luke 15, verses 1 to 7. It says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners. And eats with them So he told them this parable, saying, "What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it?" When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Guess what happens when one sinner, just one, You know what happens when one sinner repents? The Bible says there's a party taking place in heaven. There's a grand celebration that takes place in heaven when one sinner repents. let me tell you this. Did it occur to you that at that moment when you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you were that one sinner in whom the whole of heaven rejoiced? You were that one sinner at one time in your life. Sadly, the Pharisees and the scribes were judging these people who were sinners and wanted them to be thrown into damnation, not giving them any chances at all. Actually, The Pharisees and scribes were deluded because they thought they were better than all the rest. No, they were not better than all the rest. They were equally guilty before the presence of God. And that is why Romans chapter 3 says that He has shut up every mouth because every person is found to be a sinner. So never ever say, I am righteous, because God will tell you, shut up. You are a sinner, just like everybody else. And that's why you rejoice in glory in grace. Unfortunately, this was something that Jonah did not have in mind. Jonah was not being gracious. He himself had received the grace of God in his life. Even as a prophet of God, again, let me just tell you, it was not his right, it was a privilege. An undeserved privilege to be a prophet of God. And every man called by God into the pulpit, every man called by God to be his mouthpiece understands that the reason why God calls them into the ministry is not because they are deserving. They are called into the ministry because they themselves are recipients of the manifold grace of God. I am not here because I deserve it. Nobody who stands before the pulpit deserves to be there. Whatever giftings, whatever call, whatever mission, whatever purpose God has laid out for us, it is never because we deserve it. It is not a matter of right, but a matter of privilege, a matter of grace, a matter of mercy. And if we are recipients of grace, how can we withhold grace from other people. If we have been forgiven, how can we not want other people to be forgiven as well? That was the problem in the case of Jonah. Which brings us to the consequence because there will always be consequences. Whatsoever a man sows, he shall reap. If he sows good things, then he reaps good things. If he sows bad things, then he will reap bad things. That's the way it goes. Remember, we do not have the controls. Never, ever have the illusion of control. God is always in control. Amen? He is the one who is always in control. So here's what happens in verses 4 to 5. It says, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. Now notice what happened here in verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea. The ship was about to break up. What was Jonah trying to do? He was trying to flee from where? Or from whom? He was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. And this powerful storm was of God. It was a very powerful storm that the sailors, the people in that ship, thought that the ship was going to break up because the waves were pounding the ship. Remember, it was not, sh- it was not a ship that was made of steel. It was made of wood. And you and I know that when, when you constantly pound on wood, you, you could hear the cracking. And so the imagination of the people inside the ship is, we're dead meat. We're going to die very soon. This thing cannot hold. The, the wind was so powerful. It was, it was, you know, the wind was powerfully moving against the sails. They were hopeless. Jonah was trying to flee away from the presence of the Lord. This storm was telling Jonah, Jonah, I'm here. God was knocking hard on Jonah's heart. At this time, this storm was telling Jonah, Jonah, you cannot flee from my presence. You cannot run away from me. Jonah, you're not in control. I am, and I'm sending you this powerful storm. You have no choice. You have to obey me. You have to follow me. Jonah, don't be stubborn. You can't run away from me. I am the God that fills the heavens and the earth. My presence is everywhere. You cannot run away from me. This powerful storm was a chastisement to this disobedient prophet. In Hebrews 10, 30, 31, I'm reminded of this passage. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That thought should really scare us. That when we fall into the hands of the living God, it's going to be terrifying for us. Just imagine the scenario here. When this powerful storm had struck, the sailors, Bible says in verse 5, the sailors became afraid. And every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now this was precious cargo. This was their business. This was money for them. This was money for for the company or the business that they were working for. But you know, when you are in a situation like that, you don't care about money. You don't care about business. All you care about is I want to live. So they started to throw the cargo away because they wanted to lighten the load. Interestingly, they were innocent. These sailors were innocent of the sin of Jonah. They were not participants and yet they were affected. Which tells us one very powerful lesson. When we sin against God, we never sin in isolation. God never segregates our sins from our surroundings. Let me tell you that it would be wrong for us to think that when we sin, we only hurt ourselves. Because sometimes that is how people rationalize. When I sin, anyway, I'm... I'm the only one who gets hurt. I'm not going to hurt other people. I'm just, go, I'm just hurting myself. So if there will be consequences to my sinfulness, I alone will suffer. Big mistake. That's not true at all. When you sin, everybody around you will suffer. When a husband or a wife commits adultery, don't tell me the spouse is not affected. Don't tell me that the children are not affected. Don't tell me that that will not have repercussions in the future, reaching down even to future generations, maybe your grandchildren. We can never isolate sin. It can never be quarantined, so to speak. As some of us would like to think, you can never do that. In this case, we find... A very powerful story of how Jonah's sin affected not only him, but even the sailors together with him. Which actually reminds me of Joshua chapter 7, the sin of Achan, which I would like to review for us. Could you please go to Joshua chapter 7, beginning at verse 1? And it goes But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. In regard to the things under the ban, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Sabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go out and spy the land. So the men went out and spied out Ai, They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to AI. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So there were spies who were sent, and the spies returned back with a very favorable report, and they were saying, Joshua, it's going to be a walk in the park. This is something that should not worry us. This is going to be a piece of cake. This is going to be easy work for us. You don't need to send the whole army. Just send a little remnant. Just send about two or 3,000. That's it. That's enough. We will destroy them. That's what they thought. Look at what happens in verse 4. So about 3,000 men from the people of Israel went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and then pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads only to deliver us. And he was saying here, Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. And they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Wrong questions. Joshua was asking the wrong questions. And sometimes when we are faced with a dire situation as that, sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. Sometimes we're saying to God, why me? Why Why is this happening? I think the question that Joshua should have asked is, Lord, you promised us that we would conquer the land of Canaan. You promised us that, that we would have houses that we did not build vineyards that we did not plant. You told us that we would conquer the nations. So Lord, the fault is not with you because you are not a liar. Whatever you promise, you fulfill. So Lord, here's my question. What did we do wrong? I believe that was the right question to ask. What did we do wrong, Lord? What went wrong here? The fault is not with you. The fault must be with us. I believe that should have been the question of Joshua. Nevertheless, even though the wrong questions were brought before the throne, God in His mercy still answered Joshua. And here's what He said, verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things, therefore... The sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel, You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. No, friends, when we sin, our sins cannot be quarantined. Our sins will never remain in isolation. This sin of Achan affected the entire nation of Israel. And this is something that we need to be responsible with. Sometimes we we do not want accountability. But friends, we need to be accountable not only to God, but to each other as well. Because when we sin, remember this, you do not just hurt yourself, you hurt other people. You hurt the people who surround you. This is the reason why in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The entire church would be affected. Even with what we perceive as solitary sin. And friends, that should make us think right now. Is there anything in my life That is not right. Is there anything that I am doing that is not only hurting me but hurting other people, my family, my church, my city? We have got to ask those questions, and that's why, again, I had to tell you right at the very beginning. This is not a cartoon story. This was a real story. This happened in real time. This was not a story made up by some clever guy. No, friends, this was Jonah's story. Now, Jonah knew that God was knocking with this powerful storm, the, lo- the voice of God was loud and powerful and intimidating. It was overwhelming. I mean, people who may face that kind of situation would probably finally give in and say, God, sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, not Jonah. Jonah heard the hard knocking of God And yet, look at what happens here in verse 5. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. The voice of God was loud and powerful, but Jonah was saying, I'm not hearing this, O God. I'm not listening to you. I'm stuffing my ears. You can talk all you like. In fact, Lord, you can kill other people. You can kill these sailors. I don't care. You can kill me. I'm fine with that. Go kill me and go kill all these other people if you want. You're the one to blame if they die. Jonah, Jonah's conscience was so seared, it had become numbed. The sensitivity to the tender, loving, powerful voice of God was gone. And that is what happens when we disobey God. We lose that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We no longer hear the voice of God. We hear the voice of other people. We hear the voice of the evil one. But we don't hear the voice of God. In total apathy, he goes down the ship. And guess what he does? He falls asleep. Whatever. I don't really care, Lord, what you do. I'm going to sleep. You can kill me if you like. Is it possible that our hearts have become so hardened that even with the powerful knocking of God's voice in our hearts, we refuse to listen? Is it possible that we're stuffing our ears and trying to escape God, not only fleeing from His presence, but sleeping over the commission, the commandment of God given to us? This is really a sad story. From the lofty heights of being a prophet of God, Jonah backslides. And by the way, if you observe what was happening here, you know, there was a continual going down. Jonah was working on a downward spiral in his life. And he didn't care at all. And friends, we need to ask ourselves this question as we are about to celebrate the Lord's table. Where are you exactly right now? in your life. Could it be that you are a Jonah? In terms of your life mission, God has given you something to do. God has asked you to work His purposes in your life. Could it be that like Jonah, you're trying to thwart the will of God? having this illusion of control? Could it be that you are, you are lying down asleep in deep slumber and you're not getting it? Even if God speaks to you in dreams, you probably would not listen. My prayer to God, and of course, As we will see later on in the story, if you go and follow through the story, Jonah realized he was not in control. Jonah realized he had no option, he had no choice but to obey. And friends, that is what we need to do. This morning, I plead before you, if there is anything at all in your life, that makes you a Jonah, please submit yourself to God. Repent of your sin. Repent of your disobedience. Let Him be the Lord and Master of your life. And it will be well with you because it will always be well with people who understand that when They come before the Lord in humility. God in His loving kindness and grace just pours out His love and His forgiveness. Amen. Because the God we serve is a God of love, a God of forgiveness, a God of grace, a God of mercy. That is who He is. So can we bow our heads and close our eyes at this time? Let this be a moment of self-evaluation. A moment of trying to determine where we are exactly in our walk with God. Jonah was supposed to be in Assyria. He was moving towards Tartessus. And probably that's where we are right now, right in the middle of nowhere. That's not your place. That's not where you should be. You should be right at the center of the will of God. Go back. Go back to your first love. The key here is to remember where you fell and rise back from where you've fallen. Come back to God. Likewise, at this moment, I'd like to find out if there are some people who do not know the Lord. As I desire that you celebrate with us the Lord's table, I want you to be able to celebrate that meaningfully and truthfully. Because you cannot really celebrate the Lord's table meaningfully and truthfully unless you have Christ in your heart. And the question is how do I have Christ? The way we have Christ is by acknowledging that we are sinners that could not save ourselves. Acknowledging that our good works will not make it, will not cause us to go to heaven because what God requires is perfection and nobody is perfect. There never will be a man who will be perfect to become worthy of heaven. Only one man was perfect, and that was the Son of God. And He took your place because you deserve to die twice, physically and spiritually, which leads you into the lake of fire. So Christ died the death that you were supposed to die, and in exchange, what does He offer? He offers you his own perfection and his own righteousness. That's the reason why your name could be written in the book of life. Because he took your sin, every single one of them, and he gives you or he offers you his own perfection. Which, if you receive it, you become perfect in position. That's why your name gets written in the book of life. That's all it takes. For you to repent, ask for forgiveness, and ask the Holy Spirit to change you. You cannot change yourself, by the way. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But you have to ask Him to change you absolutely in every aspect of your life. So this includes surrender. So if there are some here this morning who would like to make Jesus their personal Lord and Savior. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, just for me to find out if I should be leading some people to pray for salvation, could you please raise up your right hand to the Lord? Those who want to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Could you please raise it up a little higher? Right, yes, I see. I see those hands at the back, yes. Amen. Amen for those hands. God rejoices over you at this moment. Yes, I see those hands at the back and right here in front. I see those hands as well. Praise God for that. Yes, I see your hand, brother. Amen. You can put them down right now. I'd like you to please pray this prayer. And and could we all please help out these new brothers and sisters who are making a step of faith in accepting Christ? Everybody, please. Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody, please. Lord Jesus Christ. We come before you acknowledging that we are sinners who cannot save themselves. Lord, our good works will not do because what you require is perfection which we can never have, but which the Son of God has. At the cross, He paid our debt. And through that, we can have His perfection. And this is what we receive this morning, O God. The perfection of the Son of God that our names might be written in the book of life. Save us from our sinful nature. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, make us the kind of people You want us to be. Thank You, Lord, for the free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Today, we will be celebrating the Lord's table. So, uh, again, uh, let us come before the Lord's table and celebrate it in a worthy manner as we confess our sins and uh, rejoice and celebrate what Christ has done for us. So, let's allow the worship team to lead us at this moment.